August 6, 1945, bathed in the deadly glow of a single atomic bomb over Hiroshima, Japan, the world finds itself ushered into the atomic age. Four years later, deep behind the Iron Curtain, the Soviet Union conducts their first test of an atomic weapon, sparking an arms race the like of which the world has never seen. Apprehensive scientists and intellectuals debate the ominous fate of the planet. Three days before his death on April 18, 1955, American scientist Albert Einstein joins British philosopher Bertrand Russell in signing the Russell-Einstein Manifesto. The prospect for the human race is somber beyond all precedent. Mankind are faced with a clear-cut alternative. Either we shall all perish or we shall have to acquire some slight degree of common sense. Soon after, in the village of Pugwash, Nova Scotia, 22 scientists, including 10 Nobel laureates, gather to ponder how to avert the Cold War's threat of nuclear obliteration and forge a plan of global peace. A half a century later, the quest still goes on. Call it the Pugwash Factor, because if those who know do not act, the planet is doomed. And the reason we're calling it the Pugwash Factor is because of the underlying premise. When those intellectuals, those scientists, philosophers gathered in that obscure little uh, Nova Scotian village named Pugwash, the premise for that gathering, and by the way, the Pugwash conferences are still taking place, annual conferences, bright thinkers from around the globe. The premise was and is the world is on the edge and we must do something. If you turn your bulletin over, I need to say a word about the last two pieces of this short miniseries, The Pugwash Factor. You see on the back there's the lineup for this fall. I want to draw your attention to the, the two weeks, three weeks from today. The Pugwash Factor, How to Discern the Pope's Agenda for America. This will be 48 hours after the pontiff will be standing in the well of the United States Congress addressing the political leadership of the nation, the president, and the entire country. Never happened before in history. So how can we discern? What's his agenda? What, what's up? And then the one after it. I want you to, to keep that one in mind as well. How to respond to the Supreme Court's same-sex marriage decision. It's a big deal this summer. How does a Christian respond? I mean, what do we say? I mean, what, what's up? I hope you'll be there for these two, the, the last two. Living in a world on the edge, how do we live? How then shall we live? Today, it's a part of the Pugwash Factor. I want to pray with you and then plunge into this story. I love what Chuck just sang. I love to tell the story. That is so, that, that's why we're here. I want to go to a part of that story. But first, let's pray. Dear God, the Pugwash Factor, living, bright minds. This is not... This is not Rocket science, bright minds know. We know. So how then shall we live, given the times? Charles just sang it. I love, I love to tell this story. As we, as we go to that story, ignite it within us. Help, help us to know how to respond, to live out that story. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You remember the Greek classic, Homer, you remember Homer's Iliad, maybe you took literature in high school, you had to read that big tome. Describing one of the, one of the heroes in his dramatic narrative, he, these are the words he used to describe him, he was a friend to man and he lived in a house 
by the side of the road. I like that. He was a friend of man, and he lived in a house by the side of the road. And the reason I like it, because for me, all right, maybe not for you, but for me, it epitomizes who Jesus was and is. He was a friend to man. He was a friend to people. Look, he didn't live in a house. He didn't even have a house. He said, foxes have uh, dens, birds have nests, son of man, I have nowhere to lay my head. He didn't have a house. I understand that. But he, he lived out. He was a friend to the human race. Elaine Roulette, she's the founder of My Mother's House in New York. Somebody came to her once and asked, how do you work with the poor? To which she replied, you don't. You share your life with the poor. Let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. The American poet Sam Walter Foss, 19th century, sees this line from Homer, turned it into his personal credo. And I, I have his poem. It's a five-stanza poem. I'm not going to read the whole poem to you. But let me read, let me read stanza two, and I'm going to slip in stanza three. Listen to this. Let me live in a house by the side of the road where the race of men go by, the men who are good and the men who are bad, as good and as bad as I. I would not sit in the scorner's seat or hurl the cynic's ban. Let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. I see from my house by the side of the road, by the side of the highway of life, the men who press with the ardor of hope, the men who are faint with the strife. But I turn not away from their smiles nor their tears, both parts of an infinite plan. Let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. I like that because it's just like Jesus, isn't it? And by the way, when you talk about Jesus, and this idea that we're, 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 we're kind of wrestling through. We just started last Sabbath. We're gonna, this, this thing will just take us right through this season. But when you talk about Jesus and the gospel, and the gospel is good news, there's a critical distinction that you need to get. I need to get this right here at the outset. And that is, listen, the gospel is not salvation. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not forgiveness of sin. The gospel is not peace of mind. It's not grace. It's not even divine love. The good news of the gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. That's the gospel. Now, that's really critical because when Jesus comes to us, as he did last Sabbath, what was this, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, I want you to go, go into all the world and share the gospel, share the good news with every creature. We need to understand that that command to go is Jesus is essentially saying, hey, go and share me. Share me with the world. Tell them how you relate to me. Tell them, I'm your, tell them I'm your Savior. Tell them I'm your forever friend. That's, the, that's what I want you to share. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is Christ himself. In fact, on the eve of his crucifixion, what does Jesus say? I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, look, I am the latent hunger. I am the undefined thirst. I am the secret longing within every man, woman, and child. I am the God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. I am the gospel. He is the good news. We got to get that. Otherwise, it's not good news. It's not good news. I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to share it unless it's good news. And the good news is it's Jesus. 
And what's better news than that? He's always been the good news, by the way. I want to go to a story now. Thank you, Charles. I love to tell the story. Let's go to that story, the story of Jesus. And a particular story. I think you're going to like this story. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to be in the NIV. And you, whatever your tablet or phone or Bible, I hope it's a Bible. Come on. You don't have to be embarrassed to bring a Bible to this church. Bring your Bible. You don't have a Bible? Pull the few Bible out in front of you. There's a page number here somewhere, page 654. I love this story. It's one of my favorites because, you know, they're having a party. It's party time. Let the party begin. And, oh, my, this, whoa, this is an opulent house. Somebody who owns this house is obviously pretty wealthy. And, boy, they are driving up. They are driving up. They are driving up in their stretch limos. You ever seen when you go over to O'Hare, you know, all those stretch limos when you get to O'Hare? You know, I'll tell you the secret about stretch limos. Stretch limos are rented for people who are important and by people who want to look important. Stretch limos. So these guys have all rented their own stretch limos because they want to be important. They're crawling out of that, out of that vehicle, rumpled tuxedos on, and a pasty, gaudy girl hanging onto their arms. It's party time. And I'm telling you, the owner of this house has invited all his buddies. The guest of honor. You're going to love this party. So they're all here. They're in. The limo's up and down the block. Where's the guest? Oh, here he comes now, an old beat-up Dodge van. Doors open, and they come crawling out, Jesus and his disciples. And Matthew is so excited to have them in his house that the whole, let the party start. And he comes running out with his little iPhone, and he's just flashing, flashing, no selfies. It's just, this is my guest of honor. I love this story. Let's read it. Come on, come on, come on. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Oh, here's a little story about how Matthew, why Matthew's throwing this party. Uh, verse 9, and as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Ugh, the hated tax collectors. And Jesus said, red letters, yo, you, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus said, I need one of you in my inner circle. Come on, boy, let's go. Matthew is so, so excited. He's planning this party. Verse 10, well, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors, you see the words out, come on to my party, big time. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. By the way, the, you know, the King James says many publicans and sinners came. But that is not republicans, that's publicans that came. There are a lot of republicans in the news these days, so you have to just throw that in. So while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the, look at this, Pharisees, when the Pharisees saw this, do you think the Pharisees would be caught dead in this unclean place with that dog of a tax collector? Are you kidding? They're not in the house. So where are they? Oh, party poopers. They're right outside the window. Can't stay away. They're outside the window and they, psst, psst. They're trying to get the attention of Jesus' disciples. They got a question. Here it is. When the Pharisees saw, verse 11, saw all of this, they asked his disciples, Yo, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? By the way, I, do, I love that. I've just put brackets all around this because this, this, this little line here, this is the gospel. Right here. This is the gospel. He eats 
with tax collectors and sinners like you and me. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock if any woman, if any man hears my voice, I'm in. We're having, we're having supper together. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. That's why it's the good news. Why does, you, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus. Isn't that something? Jesus is just like your mother. I mean, you can be having a conversation. Mother's over here talking to somebody, and you're, you're, you're bad-mouthing over here, and what is she doing? She's talking here, but listening there. Hush your mouth, boy. That's exactly what happened. Jesus is talking here, listening through the window, and on hearing this, Jesus said, verse 12, red letters now. I love this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor. Come on. The healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick. Verse 13, but go and learn this, Pharisees. Learn what this means. I, God speaking, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Some of your translations say, but sinners to repentance. It doesn't get any better than that. I haven't come to call the righteous. I came, I came to call the sinners. That's why Jesus is the very personification of the good news, because he had a heart for sinners. He just, he's a friend. He, he, he was a friend of sinners through and through. I mean, you could be a Samaritan woman. You could be living with your fifth man, and when he sits down beside you, his heart is just, his heart is just longing for your, your friendship. You can be the baddest of the bad in the little town of Jericho, ripping everybody off. But Jesus said, hey, boy, I'm going to your house for dinner. He just loves sinners. Hey, by the way, he was an equal opportunity lover of sinners because you could be the most hypocritical and critical Pharisee in the whole village. And he's going to be sitting at your table, aching for your heart as well. That's Jesus for you. <laughs> I have come... To call, Jesus speaking, I have come to call sinners to repentance. By the way, I need to ask you, what kind of sinners? What kind of sinners? <laughs> I don't see any limitations here. Do you see any kind of like uh, caveats? No, apparently, apparently it's just all sinners. If you're a heterosexual sinner, no, no. Are you a homosexual sinner? I came for you. Whew. Apparently... You can be an ethical sinner and an unethical sinner. You can be an alcoholic sinner or a non-alcoholic sinner. You can be a Democrat sinner or a Republican sinner or an independent sinner. You can be an addicted sinner or a non-addicted sinner. You can be an incarcerated sinner or a respectable sinner. You can be a young sinner. You can be an old sinner. You can be a white sinner, a black sinner, a brown sinner, a yellow sinner. You can be a Christian sinner. You can be a Muslim sinner. You can be an atheist sinner. You can even be an Adventist sinner. I came to call sinners. That's why he is the good news of the gospel. Oh, we must not forget this. If it's not good news, why am I going to share it with anybody? If it's not good news to me, why would I ever want to share it? I don't want to share that. The good news of the gospel is a person, which means if you're going to share the gospel, you share Jesus. Now, the question is, how do I share Jesus? Just as Jesus did, you do, by mingling you must become an equal opportunity mingler. 
with everybody, just like Jesus. Jim Simbola, his great book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, put the words on the screen for you. Christians often hesitate to reach out to those who are different. They want God to clean the fish before they catch them. God, I'm not going to catch this fish. Look, ooh, clean them up, God, then I'll catch them for you. What's crazy about that? If someone's gold ring is attached to an unusual body part, if the person doesn't smell the best, or if the skin color is not the same, Christians tend to hesitate. But, but think for a moment, symbol of writing about God reaching out to us. If ever there was a reach, that was it. The holy, pure deity extending himself to us who are soiled, evil-hearted, unholy. God could have said, you know what? You're so different from me. You are so distasteful. I would really rather not get too close to you. He could have, he could have said that. But he didn't say that. It was our very differentness that drew his hand of love. Jesus didn't just speak the healing word to lepers from a distance of 30 yards. He touched them. End quote. He was a friend of sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, <laughs> you name it, all sinners. He mingled among us. Ellen White powerfully captured his modus operandi with a sentence or two that I need to put on the screen. And I, I want you just to kind of brood over the sentence with me. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. His method alone. Don't need any other method. This is it. What did he do? The Savior mingled. There it is. The Savior mingled with men and women as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then, then he bade them, follow me, end quote. Hey, I want you to notice how simple it is to walk in Jesus' footsteps. Let me share with you now. Grab your study guide, please. I want to share with you the five strategic steps you must take to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We just read them. I want to share these five with you. Hold your hand up, because here, here come our ushers. And while the ushers are coming, I want to say to those of you who are watching live streaming right now, we're glad to have you wherever you are on this planet. You're watching the television right now, glad to have you there. Listening on the radio, doesn't matter. I want you to have the same study guide. So go to our website. Let's put it on the screen. Website on the screen, there it is, www. You see it at the bottom there, .pmchurch.tv. You're looking for the little four-parter called the Pugwash Factor. We're now into part two. Title of this one, How to Turn Mingle into Mission. Click that and you'll have the study guide. It's right there. It's embedded in your computer. Pum, pop up. It'll be on your screen. I want you to have these five as well, please. All right? Hold your hand up. In the balcony, you need some? We'll get them to you. All right. Good. Number one, five steps, strategic steps. Step number one, you mingle among people as one who wants the very best for them. You mingle, you mingle, you mingle. How do you mingle? You show up where people already are. That's how you mingle. You show up where people already are. On a campus like this, in a village like ours, you show up at sporting events. Sporting events are the great conveners of Americans in the third millennium. You want to be around people, go to a sporting event. In our little village, we got the shamrocks. And boy, you see the signs, we bleed green, Berrien Springs. Go rocks, shamrocks, see. You show up. 
That's where the people are. You say, I'm just not into sports, Dwight. Okay, that's fine. Go to the local concerts in the high school, elementary school, concert, band concert, choir concert. Go where music takes place. You mingle with people. Hey, here's another way. When you go into the cafeteria to eat, you go to a table uninvited, and you just sit down. No, really, that's what you do. And by the way, look for people who are eating alone. They're, they're open. They, they may not know anybody. You'd be surprised how many are sitting there eating alone because they don't have anybody to join them. Sit at the table. I, 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 I try to eat on Wednesdays at the cafeteria. So if you're in the cafeteria from 1230 to 1.30, I'd be happy to meet you sometime. This last Wednesday, so I go to the cafeteria, and there's a girl sitting right there, and I say, hey, is this, t- is, is, is this chair taken across the table? She said, yes. <laughs> there's nobody here, but anyway, there's somebody was coming. So I said, how about the chair beside it? She said, you can have it. I said, I will. <laughs> Sat out. <laughs> Look, it, it's just mainly it's just going where people are. You can do that in the cafeteria here. Listen, your kids go to public school, join the PTA. Come on, be a part of the Parent-Teacher Association. Hang around people. Don't just live in your little, your little isolated, cloistered silo somewhere. Get out. Mingle. By the way, your college student, join an after-school tutoring program in Benton Harbor or Berrien Springs. Sharon Russell will tell you how much you are needed. Please go. Just volunteer. You'll be around people you would never be around with otherwise. Join the Rotary Club, the Optimist, some sort of service club. I don't care. Go to weddings. Go to graduation receptions. Hang around people. Jot it down. To mingle simply means to show up where people already are. Don't show up where they're not. Show up where they are. It means that we take the initiative. This is really important. We take the initiative. Now, this little campus is a bit cloistered, and this campus thinks, you want to you you be with us? You come to our HPAC. You come to us. We don't go to you. That's wrong. We got to go. Go to where the people are. Uh, here's, a, here's a question for you. Here's a question. When you eat, okay, so I'm going to talk about eating since we brought the cafeteria up. When you eat, do you sprinkle your food on your salt. Do you? No, you say, do I see the other way around? <laughs> I sprinkle the salt on my food. That's precisely the point. Jesus said, you are the salt of the world. So people are supposed to sprinkle food on top of us to get... No, it's the other way around. We go out. We mingle. Which is why Becky Pippert... Oh, Becky Pippert, by the way, she addressed the... 5,000 Adventist pastors in North America had gathered in Austin this summer just before General Conference. Ooh, it was a great convention called The Called. And she was there. I'll put Becky Pippert's words on the screen. How can we be the salt of the earth if we never get out of the salt shaker? Please, get out. Practice what the top CEOs of Fortune 500 companies do. They've, they've done research and found out this to be true. They do what's called MBWA. Let's put it on the screen. What does MBWA mean? Jot it down. Management by wandering around. That's what you do when you mingle. You just wander around. You don't have to be an expert at anything. You don't have to be even a, a great extrovert. In fact, Phil Simon, my buddy... Uh, in his book, Christ's Method Alone, makes this excellent point, a little caveat that we need to insert right here, put Phil's words on the screen for you. Taking the initiative to mingle with others naturally comes easier to some than to others. I always find it more comfortable, I like this counsel, 
to mingle with individuals I encounter in normal daily events. And that would be like a, you know, cafeteria, whatever. The people we rub shoulders with as we work, as we shop, as we bank, and I'm adding the word, as we study, as we carry out other daily activities. Because we have built bridges with such individuals, they, and we too, he writes, are much less likely to be apprehensive or fearful of each other. That's good. Mingle. Step number one, mingle. Step number two, jot it down. There are only five of these, and then I'll sit down. Number two, you show your sympathy for them. Show your sympathy for them. You show that you care. Now, how are you going to show that you care? You're going to have to start talking. Not only show up, start up a conversation. Just, just start up a conversation. You'll be fine. Be genuinely interested in the other person. A lot of times, I don't talk about me. I, I'm always asking questions. Well, what do you do? What's up? What's up? What's up? You say, if I sit with you at the cafeteria, I'm going to be just quizzing, quizzing, quizzing. Why? I just want to know. Now, Phil Simon tells of a time when he was studying in a public university library. The kid across the table from him has books stacked around. Philip is waiting for an entry point, and he find, when their eyes meet, this is it. He says, wow, wow. You are probably studying for a very big test, Right? And the fellow shoots back, yes, but I'm not ready for it. Well, what's the test over? Biology. And I just hate biology. And Phil says, well, I guess we all take courses we don't particularly like at times. What's your major? Biology. <laughs> biology. Well, why in the world are you taking that major if you can't stand biology? Because, the boy replies, my parents are forcing me to become a physician. That's why. And boom, the door opened right there. Boom, it's open. And now they're in a conversation. And the door eventually opened for Philip to share more personally the truth about his friend. It just happens in an offhand way like that. You mingle. You show, you show your sympathy for them. Wow. Number three, jot it down. Five strategic steps to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, reaching out to people. Number three, you identify and minister to their needs. Now, look, if that young man said to, if, if that young man said to, to Philip, I need help understanding this biology, and Philip was a biologist, I'm here. Let me help you. Or Philip could have run off and said, I'll find somebody. I have a friend who's a biologist. He'll help you. I have a major. You know, this kid down the hall, I know him. He's a major in biology. I'll get him. He'll help you. So you, you, you look for the need. You're looking for the need. Another Philip, by the way, came, along, came across an Ethiopian in a, in a chariot studying Isaiah 53, the scroll. And Philip says, you know what, you, you know what you're reading? I don't know. I don't understand. He said, let me help. Get, get in my car. That's exactly what happened. You find a need, and then you feel the need. And by the way, sometimes it works the other way. You can reverse this principle. You can go with your need to them and say, could you please help me? Jesus did that, by the way, with a woman with the five men, and the man you're with now is not your husband. He says, lady, I am really thirsty. Do you mind? Could I, could I get a drink from you? And she said, who are you, Jew? I'm a Samaritan. I'm not going to give you a drink. He said, oh, but if you knew who was asking this, you'd ask me for water. Boom. Now, I know you're not Jesus. But you can do the same thing. Ask a favor. I do that with my neighbor, unchurched neighbor across the street all the time. Something mechanical, which I'm totally illiterate at. Something about the lawn, which I'm pretty close to illiterate at. I go over to talk to him because he's... And, and I guarantee you, every time I do, we fall into a conversation. Talk about his golf, talk about his work, talk about anything. This isn't rocket science. This is just find a need. 
By the way, I gave them a book because of all these conversations. And the wife sent me a note about three weeks later. I keep the book by my bedside and read it every night before going to sleep. Yes. That's no big deal. You have to get some kind of seminary degree to do that? Are you crazy? You just do it. Number four. Number four, you win their confidence. Five strategic steps in the footsteps of Jesus. Number four, you win their confidence because that's what's happening. They begin to trust you. The more you interact, the more you mingle with them, the more you contact. Hey, can I give you a call? Yeah. What's your, what's your cell phone? Shh, shh, shh. Let me text you. Okay. The more you do this, and by the way, you're doing it on campus. The kid three doors down from you in the dormitory is an atheist, bar none. And you know it. And you begin to reach out. Could be your own roommate, by the way. Could be your roommate. You begin to show that you care. You just care. You got no, you're not throwing hooks in here. I'm going to catch you here, catch you. No, I'm showing that I, that, that I care for you. Eventually, you win their confidence. Gregory Boyle in his book, Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion. Put the words on the screen for you. He writes, there is no force in the world better able to alter anything from its course than love. Ruskin's comment that you can get someone to remove his coat more surely with a warm, gentle sun than with a cold, blistering wind is particularly apt. Meeting the world with a loving heart will determine what we find there. Sooner or later, we all discover that kindness is the only strength there is. Just love people. This is, this is, this is caring 101. You can do it. Finally, number five, you then, key word, then. You've done the four, now. You invite them to meet Jesus. Francis of Assisi, I like this line, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Because it's how you live. It's the way you treat people. It's the way you care. It's the way you show compassion. I like that guy. Ooh, I like that girl. You've won a heart. But it's not that you don't want to win the heart to you. You want to win the heart to him. That's why there is a step five. So if you're mingling at parties and hanging around other sinners, nothing wrong with that. Jesus did. But if you're doing it just for the fun of it, look out. Look out. That fake snake is not a fake. He'll get you. You don't go just hanging around people because we're partying together. Partying out, dude. No, you have, you're, you're, when you mingle, you're always on mission. You're on mission. Desire of ages. Let me, let me just, one more quotation here. Desire of ages. As disciples of Christ, we shall not mingle with the world from a mere love of pleasure to unite with them in folly. No, 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 no. Such associations can result only in harm. We should never give sanction to sin by our words or our deeds. Now, hey, now watch this. Circle this. By our silence or our presence. Sometimes you know what's going to be going down. A Saturday night, you know what's going to be going down. And to show up there and not say anything, Thing. There may be a kid there say, hey, guys, uh, you know what, I, th I, think, I, I think I know where this is going. You want to go with me? Okay, so, so you can do that. But to just hang around, not say a word, well, he, Dwight must be pretty supportive of this. He's just hanging around. And I ruined the moment for Jesus. You mingle, but only on mission. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense? So you, you want to invite people. Step number five is you invite them. And as for inviting your friends to meet Jesus, I can't think of a better way coming up. One week from right now, Ty Gibson is going to be standing here, and I'm going to be sitting right there listening to Ty, one of the great writers in our community of faith today. I've got his books. I've heard him preach. Ty is a gifted communicator. And, in fact, it's in your bulletin. It's in your bulletin this morning. And he's going to spend seven days and seven nights with us. 
Two Sabbaths and the week in between, not counting Sunday, the week in between, Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday, and so on and so on. 7.30 right here. For the campus, Monday morning. For the campus, Monday night. But the community, they can't come Monday morning. You come and join us. We want to fill this place with people who want to share Jesus. So you can see this little card? Invite somebody. Hey, Ty sent this to us late last night. I want you to see this little 60-second Ty talking to Andrews University. Let's go. Hey, Andrews, I'm coming your way September 12th through 19, and I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to be doing something I call Reimagining God, which for me has been absolutely vital and necessary because so much of what is done in the name of God in our world makes God out to be ugly. Recently, somebody asked me, do you believe in God? And my immediate response was going to be yes. But then in a split second, I thought to myself, wait a minute, if I say yes, that may equate to something in their mind to which really my answer would be no. When people say the word God, so many images and ideas pop into our heads. The Reimagining God series is going to be a series of snapshots of God's character that I think you're going to find to be irresistibly beautiful. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you. I hope you can make it. I'm really excited that he's coming. He's going he's gonna to bless you. I promise you, you're going to get blessed. If you got a roommate, if you got a friend, a guy down the hall, you got a colleague at the job, you have a student that's been attending your class just these first few days, somebody you know that a deeper picture of God could just shift, radically shift the paradigm in their lives, invite them to this. By the way, you leave today at the, at the exits, there'll be, there'll be uh, plenty of these. Just grab a handful. Let's do something. You got to take the first four steps. Yeah, it's a part of the mingling, followed by the fifth step. Here's the fifth step coming to campus in just seven days. I want to end with a story from Gregory Boyle's book, Tattoos on the Heart. It happens in the White Memorial. It's a hospital in South LA that's named uh, Memorial to Ellen White, the White Memorial Hospital. And uh, the mother in this story, her name is Soledad. She's already lost two boys, two of her sons, to gang violence. They were killed on the front porch of her South L.A. home. And Boyle, who's a chaplain to these uh, inner-city kids, he's describing the mother when she hears her second son now being killed. Soledad runs to the source of the sound. She would say later she wished the shooters hadn't left until they had also killed her. It being Sunday, I didn't come to the news till late about Angel's death. Angel is her son. Angel killed today. By the time I reach Soledad's living room later that day, she's huddled in a corner. Forget Kleenex, forget handkerchief. Soledad is sobbing into a huge bath towel, and the few of us there found our arms too short to wrap around this kind of pain. I see Soledad a lot, but this one day, two years after the death of Angel, I see her in front of the office, and we hug. How you doing, kiddo? Soledad grabs my arm and thinks and considers her words. You know, she says, I love the two kids that I have. I hurt for the two that are gone. She begins to cry and shows the slightest embarrassment at the size of her honesty. The hurt wins, she says. The hurt wins. Two months later, Soledad is taken to the hospital for an irregular heartbeat and chest pain. I visit her in her room, and she tells me what happened the night she came to the emergency room. They have her on a gurney in the White Memorial's ER. 
The doctors are tending to her with EKGs and the like. When there is a rush of activity at their entrance with a flurry of bodies and medical staff moving into their proscribed roles, a teenage gang member is rushed to the vacant spot space right next to Soledad. The kid is covered in blood from multiple gunshot wounds, and they begin cutting off his clothes. The wounds are too serious to waste time pulling the curtain that separates Soledad from this kid fighting for his life. People are pounding on his chest and inserting IVs. Soledad turns and sees him. She recognizes him as a kid from the gang that most certainly robbed her of her two sons. As I saw this kid, she tells me, I just kept thinking of what my friends might say if they were here with me. They'd say, pray that he dies, pray that he dies. But she just looked at this tiny kid struggling to sidestep the fate of her sons as the doctors work and scream, we're losing him, we're losing him. And I began to cry as I have never cried before. And I started to pray the hardest I have ever prayed. Please, don't let him die. I don't want his mom to go through what I have. And the kid lived. Sometimes it only seems that the hurt wins. Mary Oliver writes, there are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them and all day long. Because if we don't reach out, no matter what you're hurt, no matter what your fear is, I can't do this, if we don't reach out and we have the good news and the good news is Jesus, if we don't share it, what's the point? of the good news in the end. Take your Connect card, please. Let's end. With this Connect card stuck away in your worship bulletin, pull it out. Let's respond to this picture of Jesus. We've got guests here, guests, glad you are. Fill the front of the card with information that's, that you want to share. But turn the card over. My next step today is, I am grateful that the good news of the gospel is Jesus himself. Is there anybody here not grateful? No, check mark. I'm grateful that the good news of the gospel is Jesus himself. I want to follow Jesus' example and become comfortable mingling with people. You can ask him, dear Jesus, give me a little more comfort with people. Just give me some comfort. I want to do what you did. Number three, I will pray for God to impress me with people to invite to hear Ty Gibson. Extra brochures when you leave. Grab some. Let's go. And finally, number four, I would like to join a grow group that focuses on how to share Christ in a warm and winsome way. There are a bunch now. We got 77, 79 grow groups. And the, the good news is the catalog is now online. Go online. Go to our website, pmchurch.org, and you go to that catalog. You pick them out. I want to I, I, I join a group that focuses on how to be more effective. Whatever you need. Ask Jesus. He's got it for you. These are his footsteps you're walking in. Let's pray. Oh, God, Lord Jesus, your footsteps. Boy, you are a friend of sinners, equal opportunity friend, equal opportunity mingler. And Jesus, I think it's safe to say on behalf of everyone who's here this morning, we want to be like you. We want to be like you. And so, dear God, boy, our hearts up. Give us the grace and the joy and the courage and just the spontaneity to mingle, mingling on mission to share our Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.